The Art of Leadership Network. Are the leadership positions filled with leaders? Because with a church plant, what happens most of the time is that people who are doers are attracted to church plants. They want to come and serve. And then you get a doer in a leader position, and that area is going to fall back down to the capacity of that doer. What's up, Church Plant family? This is Mike Hickerson. I'm with Andy Wood. We are the Unfair Advantage. Uh, Super grateful uh, for the next generation of church planters. Really grateful for Andy and all the ways that he's poured into the next generation generation church planters. Want to take a moment to just shout out real quick, Generis, who is sponsoring this podcast. Uh, Man, I love Generis. Personally, they help mission the church I lead in Ventura through of how to become a generous, thriving culture as a church. And we're working on that and growing in that. So they've been helping churches do that for 30 years, thousands of churches, two thumbs up for Generis. So thank you for that. Um, Andy, why don't you introduce yourself? I live in Ventura, California, uh, lead mission church that's been around since 2011. You have a struggling church that you've helped take over in Orange County, California. So talk about it. Yeah. Well, for those of you guys who are joining for the first time, uh, my wife, Stacy and I, we moved to Orange County in the summer of 2022. Uh, to be the next senior pastor or lead pastor of Saddleback Church. So we've been in this role now. uh, We were officially commissioned in September of 22, and we've been doing it for, uh, at this recording, a little over a year, approaching a year and a half. So uh, a lot of fun. And you still love Jesus. You still love your wife and your family, and you still love your kids, and you're you're not too great yet. Yeah. And the, and part of the reason why I'm on this podcast or why we started doing this is because um, I planted two churches before this, planted one in Arlington, Texas while going to seminary, and then Echo Church in the San Francisco Bay Area, which will celebrate their 15th anniversary uh, next year. So we left that church. Uh, one of our good friends, Felipe Santos, who was our executive pastor, is now the lead pastor there and just doing a killer job with that church. So um, that's the brief of our story. Yeah, I love uh, Echo. Echo's awesome. I've been there. I actually love Felipe as well. It's ironically, we have kids that are freshmen at Point Loma Nazarene University together. So I'll see Felipe as, at parents' weekends, and we'll be like across the way waving at each other. So it's fun. It's awesome. So the hope for today uh, is that if you are a church planter, know a church planter, are processing church planting, help invest in church plants, that we could just maybe pick. Uh, I want to pick Andy's brain. Um, some stuff that he's learned as he's navigated multiple years of being a pastor, being a church planter, being a leader of church planters, and just a way that we could get inside of somebody who's done it inside their mind to help us learn some lessons so that we could, if we're cheating in anything, let's cheat in making better church planters out of this whole thing. That's the unfair advantage. That's what we're doing. So I wrote this question. I was like, lessons that you know now that you would tell your starry-eyed self uh, when you were like feeling the call of church planting back in the day. So what, what mm-hmm. like, in, again, you could say as many as you want or as few as you want, but like, I know there's top of mind stuff that you would maybe want to help us with. Yeah. So Mike, when I reflect back on having planted two churches, the first church, a lot of the lessons that we pulled away from that were really the tactical aspect of church planting. So a lot of what we've done, talked about from launching strong to putting teams together, raising resources, all that. So when I look back on the second one, a lot of that, by the time we started the first one, we had ingrained inside of us. 
So most of my reflections on the second church plant are a little more from like a personal angle, like what my experience looking back, what did God do in me? And I'll say there, there's a couple of things that really stick out to me. Uh, you know, when you start in marriage or ministry or parenting, uh, you, you don't really know in the moment how long the journey is going to be, how hard it's going to be. Uh, and I think that's a part of God's grace for us. Like if we knew all the difficulty in advance, uh, we probably wouldn't do the thing that God's asking us to do. So in his grace, he doesn't show us all of that. The thing that I would say in all of that, that has really helped me. And I, I, I don't know where it came from, but it's like, I, I would just say this to a church planter to myself, like, it's, it's going to be hard, but God's going to walk through all of it with you. He's going to use all of it. And you've got to hang on to your calling. You've got to hang on to your calling to your marriage, hang on to your calling to the ministry, to the church. And I, I think that that's one of the primary things that I just have come back to over and over again that is so essential that I would say to myself at 27 years old when we started Echo. I, I affirm that agree. It's like that obedience part of it of like, like I agree that I don't know that God's going to let us know all the hard that's going to be. It feels so hard when you accept that call in the moment as it is, but to realize the arc of what is going to happen over the next 20 years of ministry and life and people and pain and parenting and all of it. It's like, I don't know that anyone's signing up for that journey, but as a part of following Jesus, we know that that's part of what we signed up for. Like we're just obedient yeah. to what he calls us to. So I love that dude so much. Um, one other lesson I'll please. share on that before we move on to the next one. When I was transitioning from echo, you know, there's a lot of things I never thought through. Like, you know, I never thought, Oh, I'll, from a Google Drive standpoint, I need to save all this in unique ways because I'll ever have to transfer it. I'm like, my whole life is going to be at this church, we thought. Um, and the, the transition from when we first were called, you know, when we first started wrestling through the call to go to Saddleback to when we left was like three months. Hmm. Now, if you think about that, looking back just three months ago, it seems so short of a period of time. And to think that like one, one weekend I'm like preaching, you know, working on vision and there, I had already had some things internally God was doing, but it wasn't clear it was going to be saddleback or timing. And then three and a, three, three and a half months later, you're gone. And the grief and all of that and the depth of just what were the friends were leaving all that. There's one thing that really hit me in the midst of it that if I could if I could go back, this is a deeper thing I would say that uh, if I could look myself in the eyes, I would say enjoy the journey. Mm. Don't always be on to the next thing. Like when you're in the moment, when you've got your first, you know, grand opening, enjoy it. When you know when your kids are young, enjoy it. When like lean in, and my my strength of futuristic always has me on to the next thing. So I got one foot in today and one foot in tomorrow. My whole life has been like that. And I just, I think there's a lot of sadness that I, I felt in that like, Oh, I wish, I wish there were certain people I'd had over for dinner. I wish there were certain people that I had taken a little bit more time with. I wish there were certain people that, 
um, moment moments that I had slowed down into to see the miracle of what God was doing. And so I would, I would just encourage church planters, like slow down a bit in the journey and enjoy it. Man, if I could encourage anyone listening to this, stop right now, rewind this back a couple minutes and listen to this again, because I 100% agree with everything that he just said. I'm a futuristic person, so I've had the discipline of celebrating, the discipline of slowing, the discipline of being present in the now, not just the future, has been super difficult for me as a church planner. And then I remember, like, oh, those days were so much fun. Was I having fun in those days? Because I felt like I was just on to the next thing. And that that does, uh, man, I wish I could do that differently as well. So I agree, man. Thank you for that. It's super helpful. Um, if I was asking, this is more tactical. So if you want to go somewhere else, we can go anywhere else you want to go. But like, how did you navigate and maybe you weren't expecting or how did you know or where did you get trained around some of the attendance barriers, the staffing growth and complexity, the scale of what was happening at Echo, or like needing to hire more staff, but then also not being able, not everyone directly reports to you. Like, so I feel I watch church planners get in that collision of like when they are winsome at the beginning and then they launch well, but then they are struggling to scale maybe what is happening. Am I making sense there on some of those like attendance barriers? Yeah. Maybe talk through like, is it a hundred to two hundred or a thousand to two thousand? Is it five hundred to seven hundred? Like, help us with some of that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that there's some general like principles, right, that are at play. Like, generally speaking, um, healthy things grow. Like, there are some some healthy things. Like, my body at this point is not growing. It's in a different place in the life cycle. But generally speaking, especially with a baby or a newborn. So church, a healthy church should grow. So there's a qualitative aspect that is going to influence the growth of, of the churches that we start. So that would be the quality of the worship experience, you know, the ability to connect people into groups and teams, um, some kind of process that's helping them get discipled, um, the mobilizing them once, once the church has kind of grown, mobilizing them for mission. A lot of the very practical things that are the health aspect. Once the church is growing, there's containers that can be placed on the church that restrict the growth of the church. Usually those are related to space, um, and that includes kids' space, uh, that includes the parking lot, that includes the auditorium. Uh, and once those things, you know, a room gets 80% full or so, you start to have these dynamics where if a family of four comes in, you can't find four seats together. So if a family of four comes in, are there four seats? If there's not, you probably have a, a space where you need another service or not, something else to, to help those people, um, shifting people around. So all of that, uh, there's a qualitative aspect to the growth dynamics, like how quickly can you get onto a campus? How far is the parking lot? How wide are the hallways? All those like really, you know, really basic things that when you're in it for a while, you don't think about it. So the some driving questions could be if i were to invite my if i were to invite my neighbor my unchurched neighbor to come to church here what would they experience and try to go through that so if if i wouldn't want to invite them then that's probably there's probably some barriers there but once you have momentum and growth the the name of the game changes so the questions you start asking are not how do how do we 
you know, improve the, uh, you know, you're, you're not necessarily at the same place where you're like, okay, there's a, we're trying to get out of the cringe factor. You're in more like, oh, well, our auditorium's filling up or, you know, we've got the, all these kids rooms and there's not enough workers for all these kids rooms. And the, the equation then, or the conversation becomes about multiplication and multiplication of space, multiplication of staff, uh, of leaders, and I'll speak to, I'll start with staff. So I think one of the simplest tools for scaling with staff when you're starting one campus is to build out your org chart and to say, what is the ideal org chart for our kids ministry, for our guest experience, for worship, and then to begin to put names in those boxes of who are the people. And if you don't have somebody in that, in those boxes, then you just put the name of the person that's leading that area. And then what, what I wanted to do in that, and we did this multiple times, but especially if you're going to like zero to a thousand was to constantly look at that or consistently, probably not constantly, but consistently, you know, every couple of months look and say, okay, are the people that are in, are, are the leadership positions filled with leaders? Because with a church plant, what happens most of the time is that people who are doers are attracted to church plants. They want to come and serve. And then you get a doer in a leader position and you, you could put a system in place. You could have a good on-ramp, but that area is going to fall back down to the capacity of that doer. So that's where the pain becomes. I, I love everything you just said. And so let me back up a little bit. When you were if you were going to encourage a church planter, if they're trying to do the org structure with boxes and everything that you're saying, like what size dynamic is in your mind? Is it 500? Is it a thousand? Like when they're filling in the boxes of the org chart, uh, or is it less than that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you, you know, if you're launching from scratch, I would try to get, initially start with an org chart of like 250, yeah. uh, 250 people. Uh, unless you're like hiving off a bunch of people from another church, but you know, there, there's just very few p- churches that are going to start from scratch with much more than 250 after the dust is settled. And then I want to be thinking into the future. So, uh, you know, double our size in terms of structure and know that, and then begin to work towards that. And then I want to find those leaders. You've got leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And this is the Jethro model. Some of that can be cultivated and developed. So you're taking existing talent and you're developing it. And you're building systems around good people. I don't personally believe that at your core, you're going to make a fundamental shift from being a doer to a leader. I, I just I think you're I think you're either wired one way or the other. There's people that are coordinators that can float between the two, um, that kind of have both skill sets, uh, and we we would just call them coordinators. But I think a pure hard doer that really wants to be the one pushing the mop, really wants to set up all the pipe and drape, you're you're gonna have a hard time changing that person. So you just have to keep structuring around them and keep them and not let them be placed in a position of leadership. If, if those people have good character and don't hold it tight, you can keep making those changes. But if they're insecure or, you know, it's their thing, that's where you get into a lot of 
power struggles. Um, and that I think every church planter has to go through that at some level. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So we like, we're trying to bump, we bumped up against the uh, admission in Ventura and we're trying to figure out what is that thing that we're trying to figure out? Why can some people do this and some people can't do this? And so we just have created a value called developing is greater than doing. So mm-hmm. like, I know most of us got into these roles cause we could do the thing or we're really good at doing the thing, but we tried to increase the value that developing is way developing someone else to be able to do it is way better than doing it yourself. And that is mm-hmm. really I, shockingly difficult for some leaders to be able to do like it. So that mm-hmm. uh, church planters pay attention because you will have developers, you will have doers and uh, trying to figure out as complexity grows, as scale grows, it is not the easiest thing for people to learn that skill. So, yeah, I think that we could come back um, at some point and do a way longer conversation on this. I'll say one, I'll say one other thing. I probably could say a lot of other things, but I have a deep core conviction that I never want, I never want myself, I never want to be the bottleneck to what God is going to do through the church. And I think in terms of head, heart, and hands. So I've got the way I think as a leader. I've got my character internally and I have my skill set. And I felt like I had to keep on growing in all three of those. But if you part of the problem that happens to a lot of a lot where you see moral failings a lot is you see somebody that's got a really strong skill set. It could be public speaking, it could be leadership, it could be the combo of that. And then they don't have the infrastructure emotionally and spiritually for when all that, all that growth is placed on that person, they don't have the infrastructure for it. And so I just think being aware of what, what you don't deal with in your 20s and your 30s catches up to you in your 40s and 50s. So whatever those preach, habits preach, preach. are, I, it's so good, man. Let's keep going, keep going. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever, whatever those habits are that are in the dark, you know. So you, you, uh, you know, a church planter might be out there and just playing around a little bit with porn, or um, and you know, you're you're not really planting yet, so it doesn't feel like the implication is big, but you're just letting yourself watch something late on YouTube that you shouldn't be watching, or. You're, you know, a church planter that's out there, just a little too much drinking, just a little, you know, like not completely drunk, but just, you know, on that edge. Or you've got relationships where they're not, they're not quite over that line, but they're, they're close. And that, that little crack is going to become a, a massive gap as more is placed on. And so, yeah, the, we would say that the cracks become canyons under pressure of mm, church planting, right? So, like the financial yes, cracks, that's good. the moral cracks, the marriage cracks, the personality cracks, like all that becomes canyons under the pressure. So, like, got to be careful with the cracks. So, yeah, and I think another thing too is to um, to name those things. So, like, if you if you see it in yourself, just name it people around you will give you more grace if you name it. You know, if you're like, well, yeah, I said, I, I mean, I, I told you that I'm disorganized and impatient, you know, like I know I, it doesn't give me warrant to not be kind, but 
but I told you I'm a very impatient person. And you, you, I think people sometimes want to throw at you if you don't bring it into the light. But if you bring it into the light, one, it can be healed and transformed. Um, but two, it just allows people to give you a lot more grace as a leader uh, in some of the weaknesses that exist. Because we, ha- we all have them. The thing I'm after is an exemplary life. So can I genuinely say to people, follow me as I follow Christ? And, you know, if I can't, if I can't say that at any season, I've got to deal with that before I try to build this. Honestly, we could talk forever. uh, And I've literally taken notes already on things that I want to remember for myself. So thank you for that. I want to pivot to a topic of planting with our spouse and working with our spouse. So um, we both have the privilege of being able to marry, to marry above our heads with amazing women that yeah. are highly gifted in the kingdom. And so this is not meant to be anything scandalous or theological. We're not trying to get into any arguments. I just want to talk about, as I'm looking at the, the landscape of church planting, I'm watching more and more couples navigate this together versus just one, like the guy that is navigating it. And then the, the woman is trying to figure out how to just lead the home type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I wouldn't presume or I wouldn't have any judgment and I wouldn't want to get into a fight over any of this stuff. I just want to know about your experience and how you'd help a planter that's trying to navigate planting with a spouse, but also working with a spouse and hopefully still liking each other on some level. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't think we've done it all right. I think we've done some things right. There's some things I'd do differently if I could do it all over again, if I could start back at 27. Uh, I would say the thing that I did right, or we did right, was I don't feel like we, I put pressure on my wife to be something that she's not. So there, I don't think there's ever a season where it was like, well you need to be this person in the ministry. You need to do, you know, now she did the kids ministry one time. That wasn't, she didn't, that wasn't great for her. She did student ministry. I asked her to do those things, but it was much more like, Hey, can you, you have the culture. Can you lead this while we build it up? And and she did a great job with both of those things. But um, leadership is not her primary spiritual gift. She just went through a life plan and about a year ago, and one of her like must not do and the must, you know, you have these buckets of what must I not do? And she said, lead anything. So she does not, she does not want to be a leader. Like she, do, she wants to be um, at the table, helping shape the conversation. She is a, she is a deep well. She makes every room she's in better. She's a shepherd. Um, she, she's strongest character, you know, so all of that, she's in the room, but she doesn't want to, she's not responsible for anything and that's okay. Let me push a little bit. So, uh, not, um, not correction, more of like, so help the young couple that's, that's navigating that complexity now as a church planter couple, like one, she may or may not, or he may or may not want to have a role at the church or they're trying to figure that out. Like what conversations would have been helpful for you two as a 27 year old church plant couple? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the, the, the life planning stuff that you is harder sometimes to know when you're in your mid twenties, but it's like, who, who are you and who, who is your spouse? Like, so knowing how God's wired you 
And God doesn't always put, you know, the gift mix is not always the same with spouses. So you might have one that's, uh, you might have a woman that has a strong spiritual gift of leadership and you might, might so that all of that is to try to discern who God's made you to be. And then this is where my theology comes in. I do believe that the church is supposed to be structured according to spiritual gifts. So to give freedom to that. And then also, I think involving your spouse in decisions and thinking and talking through and having them, you know, in key meetings is super important. But I would just try to, as much as you can, put aside the the tradition, the way that other people do it, that, you know, and, you know, you don't want to do anything that's unbiblical, but, you know, you, there's a lot of God, God put sons and daughters together in his family to serve alongside one another. That's, there's no doubt when you read the new Testament, that is the case, you know? So giving yourself the freedom now figure out your theology on elders and offices and all that, that you'll figure that out. You know, I'm, I'm, I am what surprisingly to some people, I'm complementarian in my theology. I'm conservative and, you know, obviously my belief about the Bible, but, um, but I also believe that eldership is an office. Pastor is a function with a spiritual gift. So in most of the time when Stacy speaks and some people will hate me for this, some will, some will hate me for this, that I do this. And some will hate me that I let her speak or not like me because of it. But most of the time, you know, I, I'll be nearby. I, I might even stand on stage. Um, she's, we're not co-pastors in our situation. So we're not, you know, that's not our, our theology and I'm not against it. I could, I could easily work with somebody with that, but you, you figure all those things out and nail them down theologically but I think one thing that you can be clear of is that, you know, you, you have the freedom to within theology, within a biblical framework to create an environment that works for your, you and your spouse. And then if you're in a denomination that doesn't, that's not aligned with your theology, then just pick a different denomination. Like there's no, I mean, I know it's it's easy to say that uh, flip it's I don't mean it flippantly I just mean it in terms of the mission that that all that stuff should should be secondary to obeying the Bible and fulfilling the Great Commission Love and uh, yeah can you give me some of the arcs um, I'm trying not to put my own experience with Jody and I in it but the arcs of being young pastors together young married together young parents together, church planters together, and then co-worker. And it's not always been like where she's worked full, what my assumption would be, she hasn't always worked full time at the church and tried to figure, and you you know, or responsibilities were moving and juxtaposed all the time and your world is complex and changing. So are there any like arcs that you would just give a church plant couple to be like, it's, it's okay, it's normal, here's some things that we've navigated through. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say um, know what season you're in, so pay attention to the season of life you're in. Generally speaking, I think people who, if they can not have to put their kids in childcare most of the time, you know, I don't, I don't know very many people that pre- prefer that approach where their kids are in childcare most of the time. And I know godly people that have done that, so there's no judgment. But I think trying to figure out a way, maybe some people have family nearby, parent, grandparents, that's a great option. 
but you got to figure out a way to not just put your kids on the side, you know, to make it happen. Um, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would do more shared with her. She carried the bulk of it from a, a nurturing standpoint. I was home by five thirty every night, except for one a week. Um, we had a family day. I took the kids half the day on Saturdays so she could have time to herself. Um, and it was super messy and super hard. And she was in tremendous internal turmoil for the first 10 years of, of ministry. And then she started to get to use her gifts more. And then I think as she started to get to use her gifts more, I saw her flourish. Um, but it's, I, so I mean, I'm just going to laugh a little bit because yeah. you're saying all that. So like, like a list of things, but I'm like, those are all massive, huge things for a church planner to hear. Be home. Mm-hmm. Like navigate your time away. Like, you know, you may want to be a dad and not just childcare, <laughs> you know? So like learn to be present yeah. as a father, let your wife have some adult time, learn to figure it out together, learn to help her flourish in gifts. And it's really messy and hard all at the same time. Like you were just rattling those off and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And they're huge. If you're going to work, if you're going to do yeah. this together for the long haul. Yeah. I think one of the things, Mike, that I'm just being super vulnerable, that's hard for us or honest, whatever, however you want to say it, is we're both so passionate about the ministry. So we, when we were at Echo and here at Saddleback, we, I mean, a lot of times we're like laying in bed at 10 o'clock at night talking about church stuff. And that's just not great, man. It's not a... <laughs> There's other things we're talking exemplar. about at 10 o'clock at night, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's, we've struggled with that. I mean... And I'm, I think I'm worse than she is, but she's, she's still, she's still a culprit. It's a huge tension. Our house, and I usually challenge couples to navigate this. Like, who's the person that says, let's stop talking about church? Cause one of you needs to, cause you both love it. You both are called to it. You both are invested in it. But so at our house, I'm the one. Cause I'm like, okay, babe, I've been working all day. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And she's ready to go at the fire pit. She's like, let's talk like strategy, all of it. She's a teaching pastor with us. She's leads a lot of our strategic stuff. She's on our executive team. Like, so we work together a lot, but I'm like, babe, I'm, I've got to be done. And we've had to learn that over 20 years of like, that that's not offense. I've had to learn what to not be offensive with that, that I do value her and care for her, but I'm just ready to not talk about church. So uh, yeah. that'd be some advice I'd give. All right, let me pivot one more. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple more. Um, I don't know that we've talked about like, I, I, I think of writers and theologians have called it like the dark night of the soul part of like, you're a believer, you're a follower, you're a pastor, you love Jesus. And you have these moments where you're a church planner and you get these seasons of difficulty personally, could be pain, could be doubt. It could be min- I mean, who knows what it could be. This is a dark night of the soul. But you also have these seasons as a leader where the thing you're leading isn't always up and to the right, and there's difficulty there. So if you were coaching a church planter, um, assuming that there are going to be personal dark nights of the soul or difficult seasons and organizational you know, difficulty uh, or hard seasons, like any, any thoughts as you're looking back and helping church planters that you would say? There's parts of me that I have tried to manage my entire life and never been able, even with the Holy Spirit's help, I'm still in process on. Um, There are certain parts of me that I think have contributed to the ability to endure and gotten me through really difficult times. And 
I know that verse, this seems so simple, but it's like, seek first that, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Uh, at the core for me of who I am and all that I do in ministry is a deep love for God that consumes my life. That has been the the focus of my life since I've been a kid. So uh, more than I, I want a church to grow, more than I want to be known more all that I want to, I want to love God and please him. So that to me is the, at the end, he's the one I'll stand before and all this will, all of it will be gone. So that vision of standing in the presence of God really drives me. So when it's hard or I don't feel him, I know, I know I will see him. I know there will be a moment where I'll, I will stand in his presence without all this pain and flesh. So that that contributes to endurance, I think, for me in these dark nights of the soul. I've had a few of them during COVID. There's a lot of um, really hard times. I, I care way too much about the church growing. Um, I have a hard time when it's not. Uh, it's not always, it's not really identity as much as it's just, I, I'm, there's a competition, there's a desire for it to grow. There's an urgency inside of me. So when we're stuck, uh, it's hard. Uh, the thing I've tried to do is just hold that before God and tell him like, it's hard. It's hard for me. I'm struggling. I, you know, it's bothering me. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's moments where you are just beyond what you have the ability to endure physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I'm in, I'm in one of those seasons right now. I just, I, there's, is no way possible. I can do my job. Like there's, my role is not a job a human can do. There is a space that only God can fill. And so what I I try to do in that those moments is in in that gap of my inefficiency and inability and exhaustion is to try to lean into God. And there have been so many moments where I'm trying, I'm white knuckling it, holding on, and it's like God's like, no, you you can let go. Like I I got you. I care about this church. I care about you. I care about your family more than you can possibly fathom so you can release. And you know, so my struggle is more on the control side of things, mm-hmm. but um, I think pressing into God and, you know, when you don't feel like it, get up and read the Bible and pray when you do, when you're exhausted, like if you cut everything else else out of your life and you don't feel anything spiritually, it's to keep, doing the very best you can through the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God and be in his presence and the trust of like, just keep moving that at some point you'll get through that. And a lot of times those dark nights of the soul are depression. They're, you know, at the core, they're a form of depression. Uh, I don't know if I'm answering way too honestly no, I, or I, more than I, you honestly, wanted. I loved it. No, that's exactly what I wanted. And I would say good friends, spiritual disciplines, like great counselor, <laughs> therapist, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, you know, lean in on the, like it, all, everything you said is super great. Uh, I just like, I think sometimes I've watched planters get surprised 
by, like, I thought everything was going to be up and to the right. Why am I internally struggling through something? Or they thought their organization or church was all going to be up and to the right, and they get surprised that it's hard. And so I think that grit, that endurance, that keep doing the things is a great, is super great advice. Um, so I'm going to, one more pivot. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you replaced a living legend. Um, uh. You basically, the, you replaced the most famous pastor alive in the world. I probably feel confident that that's safe to say, right? Uh, not only America's yeah. pastor, maybe the world's pastor. I don't know. Maybe that's too much. I don't know. Um, but for sure, like a living legend like no one takes that job. Like you're not supposed to, like that's a body bag job. And you had a call from it. I'm, I've been, I'm, uh, I think a, a ton of you behind the scenes, I think so highly of you. Uh, and I love Saddleback. I remember not being a Christian and coming to Christ and reading um, like all the stuff that Rick would write. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. Like it helped change my life and set a frame for me. So I can't even imagine taking over the role that you've been called into. And you have already said that no human can do it. So, I, and right. this is probably an unfair question, but give us some highlights of what you've learned and what you would look back as a planter that have kind of stayed with you as you've taken into this role. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah. The question that a lot of people ask is like, what's it like to fill Rick Warren's shoes? And I got that question, like, you know, I was in at a mission event with him and I got that question, like, you know, eight to 10 times. And it's a, it's a, it's a well-meaning question. Um, but I, my response is always like, I'm not trying to fill his shoes. I like my shoes, you know, I, um, but it's still, it doesn't, I mean, it's a good axiom, but it doesn't really capture the complexity of that reality. I, I think that calling that knowing that God is, that this is what God called me into is the only way that I could step into it. So if I didn't have that clear sense that God put me here, that God has me here, that God's God's the one that made that decision, not me, not Rick, not the like at the end of the day, God was the one that was underneath all of that. And the elders, you know, obviously and Rick and the rest of the team together agreed with what God had willed but i i think that that's the most important aspect i also think i've got to celebrate what is amazing about this legend in terms of vision and capacity and what he's accomplished and not you know just look at it and celebrate that foundation that you know and think oh wow i get to be a part of the next chapter of what god did through that person's life and you know, my hope is Saddleback would grow bigger than, you know, that it, it would grow way beyond. I know that's Rick's hope as well. Yep. But if Rick, if Rick and his giftedness were 42 and took Saddleback at 42, I, no doubt Rick would do more than, <laughs> than I will. Uh, so I'm not. But at the same time, I'm a, I am alive at this time for this assignment and God has a plan and uh, and I. I'm stepping into it the, with the full courage that I can. And the, the image that God's given to me over and over again is Joshua and Moses. And Joshua would have never gotten to the Jordan without Moses, but Israel would never get across the Jordan with Moses. 
And so there's a new era that God is calling us into with courage. And that call to courage is first for me to step into it with courage and for the rest of the team to step into it with courage. And Rick has been very good to not put any kind of pressure on me to be some personality or somebody I'm not and has been great to, you know, people have said, will Rick Warren ever be able to let go of Saddleback Church? And and he has. I mean, he, he genuinely, um, he's a, a supporter. He's an encourager. We, you know, we talk through things. And I tried, I honor him publicly. I try to uh, do FYIs on what things I would want to know as a founding pastor. I've I founded a church before, so I know what it's like to be a founding pastor. I, I try to tell him those things so that they're not surprises. I try to get his feedback on macro level decisions. Um, I don't always do everything he says, and that's okay. If I did everything he said, I shouldn't be the leader. Um, and so it's there's a complexity to it. But calling and courage are like the two baselines for me. I just want to highlight a couple things. First of all, um, the lessons as a young leader around identity in Christ and calling, like what you're just saying, as being the foundation, like if that gets messed up as a young church planter, you can never have something that's more complex that you're called to lead because you're going to wrap your identity in it. And so you've already, mm-hmm. you've led that way your whole life. Like you have a humble obedience, a confidence in that. So I, I just appreciate that. Um, I think the, uh, you've, that I know of you and my, what I've, I've experienced of you is that you've never needed to tear anybody else's thing down to establish your thing that God has called you to. Right. And I watch a lot of church planters feel like they have to say they're establishing their vision on what we won't do like the other people did and you, or like the founders did or the people before them did. And you've never done that that I know of. And you've never done that to Rick, uh, which, so I think there's a, but there's a humility in that and identity in that, that you've never had to lead out of making somebody else less than so you can be establish yourself. And I love that. And then the courage that you've talked about, man, like, like it's, it's an, it's a big boy like every day waking up, like, man, I, I, there's eternity at stake. You know, there's like the great commission at stake. There is, uh, lives at stake and there's churches at stake. And then like to lead with all diligence and integrity, just thank you. Thank you for that. You know, at the core, we all have to wrestle through is, is he the Lord of the harvest one? And is it his church too? And if, if, the, if I truly at my core believe those two things, he's, he is the Lord of the harvest. And it is it, I, when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not my church he's building. It's his church he's building. And so as long as I stay on his agenda for his church, I'm in, I'm, I'm in good, a good place. And if at some point God says, this is not the assignment for you, but I, I'm here committed to give the rest of my life to this vision and don't foresee anything else. And at the same time, if, you know, th- th- at some point th- there's somebody else that can do a better job, then they should come in and, and lead it to the next level. So far, we've got great fruit. We've had a lot of progress in one year and we're seeing God do great things. And it's, it's going better and faster than I thought it would. And, um, and at the same time, I still want to hold it with open hands and and trust God in all of it. 
it's that uh, the tension I've watched you navigate is I care so much with the whole, like I want it to be so great, but it's not mine. So I have to lead open-handed, but I care about it, but I have to be open-handed. So I appreciate that about you. Yeah, yeah It resonates with me personally. Uh, just on behalf of the Unfair Advantage podcast, dude, you have killed it in this season of helping church planters. So thank you, thank you, thank you. As we're coming to an end of your hosting time, with us, I would, I would like, I'm begging and I'm just going to put you on the spot that at some point you have to come back as a guest, uh, so that we can talk, uh, more, uh, or I'm just going to oh, have to come down and saddle sure. back and just, just hang out with you on a regular basis. That's the only, those are my two demands. That's all I've got. Yeah. Well, Mike, I'm, I'm so grateful for you and the Ascent team and all that Sean has done to build out the Ascent, the cohorts. I, I'm still going to be involved with cohorts and, you know, there's probably some planters that are listening that could be a part of one. I'll, I'll be, believe jumping in one in 2024 is one of the mentors i'm actually coaching one in 2024 so we'll come we'll come visit you so for real like if you're a church planner know a church planner get them in a cohort ascentleader.org we can help you do that so so yeah dude for sure so again thank you i'm gonna be shifting you know more to a season of finally getting to a place of like traction here to the degree that i can start kind of moving my my eyes towards what's that next um, iteration of Saddleback serving the bigger capital C church. And so, uh, you know, just some of that will be coming out, you know, in 2024. I'll be kind of giving some of my energy, not quite as much focused on church planting, but more bigger kind of outside of just church planting. And so I know that we'll get to work together in a lot of different formats and uh, cross pollinate, and it's been a huge honor to be a part of of the first year plus of this podcast. Absolutely, and the creation of it. So, I, for real, dude, it is. Um, you could very easily have not looked back to help the generation behind you and kind of gone to your thing. I really appreciate the fact that you have taken the time, and you really do care about church planters and church planting, and that to be in the healthiest kingdom adventure that it can possibly be. So, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Church Planters, we love you. We will catch you later. Much love and peace. Peace.